Hi, my name's Howard Mackey, longtime writer and editor at Marvel Comics DC Archie. I mostly worked on Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, X-Men, and every other character in the Marvel Universe. Hi, I'm Terry Cavanaugh. I was a writer-editor for Marvel Comics and universally blamed for the Clone Saga. And you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk And welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavostin, and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Giannacchio, editor of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Yes, well, thanks everybody for joining us for this special episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors and some creators this time as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, and for this special episode of the show, as you mentioned, it is in fact another Spider Talk and their amazing friends. And uh, we actually have multiple friends joining us today. You're going to be hearing an interview I conducted with, with your help, of course, Dan, with editor and writer Terry Cavanaugh and writer Howard Mackey, the two men bearing the, should we say, dubious honor of kickstarting the infamous Clone Saga. I guess it's technically the second Clone Saga, but... The Clone Saga, the one from the 90s that, I don't know, maybe caused some of us to drop the book or pick it up if you liked long, sprawling, multi-year storylines that really went nowhere. All right. Well, Mark, (laughs) I'm so excited that we're featuring this interview on the show this week, especially heading into what I'm assuming is going to be considered the third Clone Saga in the Amazing Spider-Man title we're reading right now, but... um, you know, I had to duck out because I was hosting family from out of town, but I did manage to sneak back in and listen to the interview as you guys were closing up. But it sounded like it was a really good time. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, just to, just to uh, give, give you guys a little bit of background, I mean, Terry uh, Kavanaugh, he was an editor at Marvel for a number of years, and then he actually uh, wrote uh, some issues of Web of Spider-Man uh, before he had a little bit of an idea. And uh, one of the first people he took this idea to was his good friend Howard Mackey, who, uh, you know, Howard is actually, he wrote Spider-Man for many, many years, but he started writing uh, for Adjectiveless Spider-Man. He also had a really uh, famous run on Ghost Rider in the early 90s uh, when that character kind of was huge. And Ghost Rider's coming back on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, you know, there you go. I I don't know if it's going to be Mackey's version of the character, but um, anyway... Howard Mackey liked the idea of the Clone Saga. He and Terry took it to Danny Figueroth. Danny Figueroth took it to Tom DeFalco. And by the way, Howard Mackey does a killer, uh, Tom DeFalco. And, and why don't we cut to the interview and you can hear the rest of the story from there. 
Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Okay, I am here with Howard Mackey and Terry Cavanaugh. This is this is two amazing friends for our Spider Talk and their amazing friends episodes. And and from what I gather, you two are actually friends to boot. So it really makes um, this whole conversation great. Uh, if you both could just introduce each other, that'd be great. I'm I'm Howard Mackey, and I've never actually met Terry Cavanaugh, so I have no idea what you're talking about being friends. <laughs> Yeah, Howard, I have video to the contrary. Oh, that video. This is Terry Cavanaugh. We are close. This is Terry Cavanaugh, and I am friends with Howard despite his denials, and I am amazing. So that really works out well. But the one other thing I want to add at this point is at any point during this podcast, if Howard and I disagree and we remember something differently, I want to bow to Howard's memory of it because he is larger than me and older than me and probably drinks less than me. (laughs) I I would say two of the three of those things are correct. I will leave it to you, dear listeners, to determine which two of those three. Um, well, of course, we wouldn't have these two on unless we were going to talk about uh, none other than the great Clone Saga from the 1990s. And, you know, we have in current Spider-Man books coming up in the next couple of months, The Clone Conspiracy, which uh, by all kind of speculation and guesstimation, looks like it's going to be a sequel to this story. Well, although this story was a sequel to what was originally done in the 1970s. But, you know, when people talk about the Clone Saga, they're referring, of course, to the work uh, from that the two of you were, were very integral uh, a part of in the 1990s. Um, and, you know, to kind of go to the origin of that, I got to start this conversation off by asking Terry uh, about the fact that, you know, in every interview I've ever read uh, involving... Howard, James Demetrius, Tom Lyle, you are always the one blamed <laughs> for for pitching the Clone Saga. What, 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 where is that coming from? And, and could you explain a little bit about why they all point the finger at you? And, and I also want to preface this by saying I actually like many elements of the Clone Saga. So this is not going to be 45 minutes of trashing the Clone Saga. So, so I, I'm, I'm warning, I, I, I'm prefacing that and also making sure that you too, you know that this isn't, you know, a hostile environment. But, but in, two, in terms of being, quote, blamed, Terry, what's, what's that about? Well, first off, I'd like to say that what I actually pitched was the Crone Saga about Aunt May. And it was just an acoustics issue in the, uh, in the meeting room where we were. And people got it wrong, and they ran with it, and I figured, when it still seemed like a good idea, I figured, all right, I'll I'll take the credit. I had no idea, really, (laughs) the path it was going to take. No, the the reality is, uh, the original clone story by Jerry Conway is a very powerful part of my uh, comic book experience growing up. I really enjoyed it. It it said a lot of things to me um, about the circumstances of someone's birth, not really defining who they are and their humanity, etc. And we 
honestly had written ourselves into a bit of a corner with Spider-Man. He was married. He was dealing with a mortgage. He was married to the most beautiful woman in New York who was a model actress. He was dealing with the mortgage. We had written himself, we'd written him away from what our core audience wanted, which was a kid who had trouble balancing school and his family life and his dating life and work and superheroing all at the same time. And I think as the creative teams uh, grew and matured and we ended up having mortgages and getting married and having kids, we sort of wrote the character that way along with us. And it wasn't where we wanted the character to be. It wasn't it didn't allow for the best dramatic potential and nobody wanted to retcon anything. Nobody wanted to just pretend something hadn't happened. So really what I thought was this would be an organic way to tell a story that comes from story that's already been told about Spider-Man. It would involve telling a story of two good people in a bad situation because almost by the nature of it, a clone of, of Peter Parker is going to be a good guy the same way Peter Parker is. And the most interesting drama is two good people in a bad situation. And we could end up, when all is said and done, with a Peter Parker who was single, who had not finished school and had not really matured into the lives of the adult writers at that point. And if I could just jump in for a second, I mean, part of why that was brought to the fore by Terry was that um, we were at a very specific time in comic book publishing in that the collector's uh, bubble of the 90s was already showing signs of deflation, as it were. And we were and I think that this was this was after uh, the death of Superman and probably after the Age of Apocalypse, uh, too, if I'm not mistaken. And we were charged at the time as a collective of Spider-Man writers. It was our time to do to present something that was going to be the next big thing, a big crossover or whatever, but also charged with doing something that would reinvigorate uh, the, the Spider-Man line. And and you you should take it from here, Terry, because I think I was the first person you you uh, pitched the idea to. Uh, yes, uh, Howard was, and Howard I think was pretty immediately receptive to it when he realized again, like I said earlier, that this would be a real story about these characters. We didn't have to pretend something hadn't happened that had happened, and really be disrespectful to an audience who may have liked a particular story that we were going to dismiss. Um, that was something Howard understood pretty quickly. Wasn't necessarily the case. So Howard and I bounced it back and forth for a while. We really came up with the storyline all the way through to the end. Uh, we knew how long we wanted it to go and where it would end and the situation we would end up in or in all the spider titles. We did have about five spider titles going at that point. So there was going to be a lot of juggling to do. I, I will say that Howard was receptive. That wasn't necessarily the case when I actually <laughs> pitched it at the writers' meeting. Um, people like I, I remember Mark Demattis particularly was resistant to it only for a moment because he felt that the spiders, the spider books had just done a storyline where Peter's parents had 
come back. Now, they turned out, and correct me if I'm wrong, Howard, to be LMDs. Um, no, that's right. I wasn't involved in that one. <laughs> yeah. You, yes. Some kind of Android or something, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yes. yes, you were, Howard, because that was a very personal storyline to you. I remember that. Well, uh, yes. My, my, well, sure, bring my parents up. Your um, dead, <laughs> dead parents. My yes. dead parents, thank you. But but I just one other interjection I want to uh, um, add is that um, you, you everybody refers to it as, as the whole the two and a half year clone saga. When this was pitched, there was no saga about it. Right. We had a four month outline. I mean, I actually still have I have the original notes from the meeting in which. I believe there were four monthly titles, and then you're right, Tara. We I think we did we have um, uh, like one, one of the the, the the bigger I can't remember what they're called anymore. Unlimited, uh, the like it was like yeah, a quarterly book, sorry, yeah. Uh, title, but we fig we had planned it out for three months because, I, like I said, I have the, um, the the notes, and it was three months over four titles, and what you and I had decided was that's a year's worth of story. Yep. Um, and so we we had it beginning, middle, and an end. <laughs> you know, le- you know, leading to the resolution, and that's what we pitched, and everybody agreed to it at that time. Well, <laughs> yeah, after a lot of fighting. <laughs> well, well, just to make sure that Mark Dematis isn't misrepresented here. Like I said, he resisted at first because he felt uh, we're just sort of doing a repeat of the the Return of the Parents storyline until. We sort of stress to him that, no, the difference here is this would be the real Peter Parker that's now coming back, not the clone. And the character that everybody had been reading about for 20 years would turn out to be the clone. And immediately, as soon as Mark heard that, he got on board and he realized all the great dramatic potential of that. Well, and then it became a story about brothers. Exactly. Exactly. And that was a way of creating a sort of brother for Peter Parker. Now, if I remember correctly, most of the people in the room then got on board. Mm-hmm. Danny, who is the group editor of Spider-Man, Danny Fingeroth, was resistant and, and rightfully scared and concerned about it because it would be something huge that would get a lot of attention. And what we were talking about was upending the Spider-Man universe in general, by the time this storyline was over. And we he wanted to ask Tom DeFalco, who is the editor-in-chief, uh, for his opinion and to get involved in this. And he was going to bring Tom to the writers' conference the next day. And we made Danny promise to not tell Tom DeFalco ahead of time the idea, because we were afraid that Danny's sort of negative take on it would influence Tom. Well, and that, that and that was Danny's stock and trade. And I, 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 I like Danny quite a bit. And just one minor correction: he was just the Spider-Man editor. I don't think we had group editors at that. Oh, you're right. That time, right. and but Danny had the this way of pitching even a story that he liked in a way <laughs> that would. Well, you know, they want to do this story, and I really don't know if it's really that good or if it's going to work. But they really seem to be behind it, and we knew what he would be like. And so Terry and I in particular, and I think everybody else joined in saying, do not do that. Let us pitch the story to him cold so that we can give, you know, all the, all the, the, the bits and uh, pieces that we, we've, we've been discussing during the day with, it was between me, you, Mark, 
Demetrius, which is really, you'll notice the difference. You say Demetrius, Terry and I say Dematis, because that's how we had always said it. I learned recently he prefers it to be Demetrius, Terry. Uh, uh, my bad, so, then. Sorry. <laughs> but um, um, who, who was the fourth writer? Uh, uh, was, it might have been Tom. Oh, well, well, ultimately it was Tom. Uh, yeah. I don't think Tom was the writer at the time. I'm trying to, re- somebody else was supposed to be on board and wasn't, never, it doesn't matter. But yeah. um, we, 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 we asked him not to do that. And of course, Danny listened to exactly what we uh, requested. Well, no, <laughs> he agreed to what we requested and, and broke Did that. It anyway. <laughs> so yes. by the time Tom showed up the next day, uh, Danny had already pitched it to him. Tom was resistant to it. Uh, no, Tom he, said, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And what he said was he immediately compared it to the year on the Dallas TV show where Bobby appeared to be dead, but then the next year he was alive in the shower and it undid everything that happened during that year. And I remember saying to Tom, it's nothing like that because everything you've read in the last 20 years in the spider books did happen. That you know, well, as much as anything that real, you know, it was fiction, but uh, it did really. It, ter- ter- it still is actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now that that hasn't been that that innovation in comics has not occurred yet. It's coming. Yeah, it's, I'm it's, sure it is. <laughs> so uh, as soon as I pointed out to Tom that really it did still happen, it just happened in a way that the, to, to characters who were unaware of their real identity, and that's as good a story as anything. In fairness to Tom, he, as much as he was resistant to it up until then, he then not only got on board, he contributed a lot to it. In fact, he's the one who suggested, well, okay, then we can have Mary Jane get pregnant, and that can be the reason that the current Peter Parker, who would turn out to be the clone, is willing to walk off into the sunset and give up this Spider-Man identity because now his responsibility is to his wife and unborn child. And that was a great capper that howard and i had not come up with yet we weren't really sure how the current peter was going to leave the scene under those circumstances and part of what we pitched by the way was this would be an expansion of the spider universe because not only would we do this storyline but then we could do the lost years of spider-man about what was going on with the real spider-man all those years while he was out of the picture and then we could we could do the continuing adventures of Peter and Mary Jane in yet another title. So it was a way to open, not close any doors in the spider universe, but to open more doors and windows and allow for more storytelling about all the characters that we had loved. And, and also, I think the other thing that, that grabbed Tom into it was seeing the enthusiasm that we were all uh, presenting and, and just, just like contributing. I mean, once we opened the door, it just kept going further and further. And I believe at that meeting, we we used to have these meetings off site. We didn't do them on, on site at Marvel. We would usually go to a conference center or a hotel. And I think we we're in a hotel room, not a yeah. hotel room, but a hotel conference uh, center. And at one point we were all getting so psyched about what we're doing that you know and there were times like we would be acting out scenes and jumping on tables and i i can i can get a little bit loud i've, I've been told by <laughs> people who have very sensitive ears apparently uh and we got the, the a, a knock came to the door and it was a representative of the hotel 
who said, we're getting complaints from around us <laughs> or other people having, um, you know, other meetings and you guys are making too much noise. And in Tom's defense, he said something along the lines of, well, the thing of it is, if my guys are this excited, you're going to have to figure out something for everybody else because <laughs> I'm not going to have them <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> and, and we immediately accused the hotel rep of working for Dr. Octopus, and it, and it went downhill from there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it turned out she was like a master of kung fu and, oh, yeah, oh, God, had the iron fist. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> so I, 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 I kind of to the point of just how excited – and you know everybody was and like how all these ideas were flowing you know one of the things that especially like on the front half and and i know i'm saying the front half of the clones of of the story as if you know it was intended to go on to the lengths that it did but you know certainly within the first few batch of arcs you had there were some really pivotal events uh you know that affected the spider-man status quo like you had the death of doc ock in in um the web of death arc and then you had the death of aunt may and amazing spider-man number 400 i mean were all of these big things kind of born out of that enthusiasm to kind of just keep building and building and building absolutely this was an attempt for us to really it was going to be a a a stepping on point for new readers as well as a continuation of the drama that that existing readers had been sharing for a long time so with this stepping on point we wanted to address certain issues i I can't speak for howard doc ock never really scared me with that paunch and that bad haircut of course (laughs) i didn't know what was coming up in my own future or i might have been a little more scared of it but um, he, he you know this was a chance to really literally streamline doc ock and maybe make him a little edgier and scarier and for what we hoped would be a new audience because this would be a stepping on point. Yeah, but I, I you know, Terry, I mean, I'm speaking to the specific question, I, 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 I mean, yes, we, we started out, um, you know, hot out of the gate with, with, uh, you know, some pretty big ideas, but I don't know that we, you know, were immediately aiming towards things like, the death of Aunt May and some of the stuff that came later on, because I, a part of that is where, in my opinion, things started to go off the rails. And I, honestly, I, I have to be honest with you, Mark. You you probably have a much better awareness of the exact timeline than than I do right now. It's been a long time since I've I've read it, and I've written a few stories since then. So I don't re- always remember the exact order in which everything was done. But in my opinion, what happened relatively early on was we became a victim of our own success. Because when this story launched was when the, the um, collector bubble of the 90s was absolutely on its way down. And... What happened with the the launching of this storyline, the introduction of Ben Riley, who we, I mean, and we played him up, even up at the office, just so you know, we were never allowed to talk about the story. And Tara, do you remember what the uh, the code word was? I do not, but I know we couldn't talk about it. Well, <laughs> if we were talking about the storyline, we said Rosebud. <laughs> from Citizen Kane. And, you know, nobody outside of the Spider-Man group was allowed to know. Now, it turns out there were some leaks, which always happens. But um, 
we really were focused on that three-month uh, story arc. And w- as we got to, um, like, month uh, two, what they realized was the orders and the sales on the... Well, maybe we even got to month four, <laughs> you know, when we were getting ready to wrap it up. They, they realized that our sales were not only not going down as rapidly as all the other books across not just Marvel, but DC uh, in terms of sales, ours were increasing. And so Marvel at that time was absolutely ruled by the marketing department. And we were told you cannot end this story. Uh, So, so stretch it out. In fact, if I remember correctly, at one point, the sales on one of the titles had spider titles had tripled literally. And it might have been in the first month or two. So really before, you know, as they were doing solicitations for the first and second month, Mm -hmm. uh, that's when we started getting it started coming to us from the sales department and the marketing department that we couldn't end this and it had to go on longer. Nobody suspected. We all thought, oh, they're going to make us go another two months with this storyline. Nobody suspected it would be another two years. Right. Because and you know and as storytellers, you know then it's still even as I'm saying it, it, it it's hurting my stomach and making me cringe. I mean Terry and I we have this discussion just in general all the time about you know when you work with editors and they say oh we just want you to change this one thing in in a one issue of a book as though as you know as a writer you have not thought through the whole story from beginning to end and that, you know, they, they, they then sometimes don't realize that just changing one thing on page 17 means you really should be going back to page three and changing all those things that led up to it. So now you take that and magnify it by three books over multiple months and to me, again, you know, that's when I, I think it went off the rails. And the way, I mean, I'm the one that I, I was there from the beginning to end. You know, what happened was we kept having to throw things at the books. And then we had editorial changes along the lines. And then we couldn't wrap it up because we were trying to deal with a lot of um, dangling plot threads that would not have existed had we been allowed to just do the story the way we wanted to. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I think I got off off the original question. <laughs> well, and, I just jumped right to the end. So thanks for joining us, folks. <laughs> and that's so, the clone saga. <laughs> it, it led to what I thought was really the most egregious part of it. And I'm glad I was off the books by then, which was sending the clones. At that point, I think there was just this desperation to drag it out more and say, oh, we've done this storyline. We'd addressed what was going on with Peter, with Mary Jane, with Ben Riley, with Aunt May. And so now it was just sending more clones because apparently clones sell was the general idea. The word clone was a saleable concept. And once it got to send in the clones, it, it completely, I think, denuded the entire storyline. I, I mean, it really did because what worked was the very unique Ben Riley and then Kane as another counterpart to it. And so you could once you had three thousand clones out there, there was nothing unique and interesting about those characters anymore. They were just one in a factory line. 
of of that, and I was really glad to be off the books by that point. Yeah, that, I don't. That that was you know that was probably the jumping the shark moment, uh, or well, there may have been several of them, but my I have my least favorite uh, issue that I I wrote at one point uh, under duress, and I don't even remember what issue it was or or which book. It was uh, the one that featured a virtual reality Spider Man uh, on the cover. You, you holding two machine guns, um, and um, I, I, I almost when when people come up to me at conventions with that one to uh, <laughs> sign, I I ask them if I could please not. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, you know, it is. I mean, it's part of you know, it's it's part of where these aren't our our characters; they're not our babies, and we we were uh, working under uh, editorial guidelines at that point, which were actually uh, marketing guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Terry, you, you mentioned earlier uh, Kane as one of the clones. And, I, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I think out of everything that has come out of this storyline, Kane really might be the most positive part of the legacy. I mean, he's all over the place now. He even had his own book a couple of years ago. So I'm, I'm curious from, from your ends, I know um, from other interviews that you two both really li- like the character a lot. How early was he kind of part of this, of the process? Was, he, was Kane from the get-go going to be a factor or was this something that kind of was born out of some other ideas that were being pitched around during the beginning? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Howard, but I don't think Kane came up at all during that writer's conference. I remember Howard and I specifically created that character, and we wanted – I never considered the Jackal of much of a physical threat. So we really sort of needed a physically threatening villain as part of the mix. But again, you know, bad guy versus good guy is been there, done that, and that's not the most interesting drama you could do. If Kane was going to be a clone, the first cloned version of Peter Parker, he was going to be a good guy underneath all that. So that was going to be interesting to write. But if he was a guy who was even a good guy driven by pain is going to act out and not act out in the most heroic manner. And Howard and I just had occasion to discuss this recently. And really the way I remember thinking about it was – if Ben, if Ben Riley and Kane were both clones of Peter Parker, and they both thought of themselves in some way as some monstrous human version of Peter Parker, it was as if Ben Riley had focused on the human part of monstrous human, whereas Kane, because of the circumstances of his pain, had focused on the monstrous part of it. And yet, they were really all brothers under the skin, which was going to make for great, great drama from the get-go. But my memory is Howard and I solely came up with that character. That was not in the group at that. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, this, this was in the day. We, Terry and I were younger then, or at least uh, <laughs> I was younger then. And <laughs> Terry, I mean, back then, uh, you know, both of us used to work until the wee hours of the morning. Uh, Terry, and frequently what would happen is you'd need a break and so I knew one of one of the few people I could call at two or three o'clock in the morning and know that they were going to be awake. 
was Terry. And so I would do that. And I have all of the, the, the phone bills to prove it because I was not living in New York City at the time. And so these were late night conversations of two uh, Spider-Man writers who just were kicking around ideas. And I, you know, I couldn't say between Terry and I who who initiated it because that that isn't how we worked. We it was it was born out of a conversation, and then soon as it happened, we both started to to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, I'm thinking about that Terry. That that's pretty cool because I I don't actually like collaborating with people, and you know, and I think it was because of our friendship we were able to do it. It was all born out of conversations. And we, Terry and I tend to have a lot of similar interests and, um, and, and things like that. So, you know, frequently, I mean, we have a third friend who I will not mention, but there are times that that's gotten us in trouble because we'll sometimes start a conversation with one guy and then finish it with another, assuming that the third person is caught up. Because we're just that close. Um, So anyway, but so that that's how I remember Kane uh, coming back and going back and forth. And it was again, it was that it was the brother aspect of it. Yes. Of you know two people, you know these three people who were the same uh, genetic makeup. um, How do their life circumstances um, impact them? Uh, differently, and you know, it you know raises the bigger question of nature versus nurture as well. Um, and so, all of that, what I thought was cool, and then you know, I understand years later, both uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name, the guy that uh, did that Star Wars uh, thing, ripped us off with uh, clones, and then uh, you know, now there's uh, Orphan Black on BBC, right? Uh, oh, now everybody loves clones, but oh, Spider-Man clone it destroyed modern comics as we know it. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I'll, I, I would one thing I'd like to make clear about Kane is. Howard Knight had a very specific plan for him. He was just driven by pain, just pain, nothing but pain. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is going to be me bitching a little. Um, I wrote the first appearance in Web of Spider-Man, and it was a one-page, you know, shadowy figure watching from the rooftops. And I believe the only word used in captions throughout the page was pain. Feeling pain, pain hurts, hate pain, not good anti-pain you know yeah, yeah. that's really what it was as how he got that from a creative writing teacher in college it was yeah, <laughs> really good and then yeah because you mentioned the collaboration thing howard i love collaborating because it allows me to steal ideas from other people very oh, easily that's a good point yeah you know, it's like to steal ideas from other people and then not give them credit yeah <laughs> and if you haven't talked to them it's easier to get away with it exactly. so deniability, I- it's all about deniability <laughs> So I wrote that first appearance that way, that page, and then Howard was was writing the second appearance, which was meant to follow up on that. I had sent him my scripted version of that page, and I remember very clearly getting a call from Howard a couple of weeks later after he then scripted the second appearance of Kane following up on that, and he was mad at me, and he called me up yelling. He's like, we agreed that your first appearance was just a show. You weren't going to name the character. It was going to be a shadowy figure, and we were going to build mystery because I did the second part of it, and it still was building mystery and he was an unnamed character and you you went and you you, you blew everything you put it all on that first page everything we had ever planned for kane and i'm like i don't know what you're talking about howard and he faxed me the editorial office had sent him 
a copy of the black and white finished version of my issue, which had not come out yet, and they had sent it to him, and they had rewritten that entire first page of Kane to literally say everything that we were, the whole story we were going to tell over four months. You know, Kane was the first failed clone created by the Jackal, uh, and he lives off of pain, and he's driven by pain, and, and then it was just an entire explanation of everything about him, so there was nothing left for Howard to do in the next appearance. And Howard was very mad at me. I had never seen that. So I didn't know they had rewritten all of that. They had sent it to Howard and not sent it to me, most likely intentionally because they had rewritten it completely right. uh, instead of just a little tweak here or there. So that was a bit of a problem in that Howard and I could spend all these hours late at night coming up with how we wanted to tell this story. But as Howard said, when you don't own the characters, editors have a right to do what they want at that stage. And they did. And it made it hard, especially since the editor for me on that book was not Howard's editor. Danny was the overarching editor. But I had one editor in charge of Web of Spider-Man. Howard had a different editor. Maybe you worked directly for Danny on Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. So it was it was difficult. You know, it wasn't like we could then communicate to the shared editor that this is how we're planning on pulling, bringing out the story of Kane. We really couldn't do that. So the editor on my title decided I'm putting it all out there on the first page that the character appears on. And then it messed up. I don't know, Howard, if you had a chance to rewrite your, your version of the second appearance of Kane. I'm not sure you had that chance. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I did or not, but I just would like to go back to, my calling Terry up and yelling at him. And you can imagine how terrifying I could be. Um, <laughs> you yelled at me. I think I cried. <laughs> well, yeah, but you, you cry, uh, you know, all the time. Well, I'm about to cry now, so stop it. Oh, get over it. <laughs> well, 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 not to pick at this wound a bit, but I, I did want to, it's, it, it's funny that you mentioned kind of the, the, the division of the books because, you know, something that, you know, has been alluded to in this conversation and, you know, I think this needs to be stated clearly. I mean, at this point was, you know, the Spider-Man books were really pushing this, this weekly saga concept. I mean, I know it had done it here and there prior to that, but I mean, this was really like the most connected all those books had been. And I'm just curious from a strictly procedural standpoint, uh, how challenging that was for each book's respective creative teams to kind of, get your stuff together and, and try and tell a cohesive story, especially when it seemed like there was a lot of heavy handedness from editorial. Well, here, I, let, let me jump in on this one, because <laughs> it, was, it was difficult. It should not have been, um, but it was. And I think part of it was the division of editorial offices, because if one editor is in charge of everything, you get to coordinate things. But I also remember... Um, there were times when we would go and we, because we, not only did we have the big meeting where we were talking about, then we would get together on a regular basis to plan out the next, the, the next month's worth of stories. And I'm pretty sure this happened while you were um, still involved, Tara, but, and I, I, I just want to let you know, I'm a big fan of Mark DiMatteis. I, I both as a writer and as a a, a, a human being and a friend. <laughs> um, but there were times, and I've said this to him, we would go and we would plan out all of this stuff to do over the course of the month. 
And then I believe Mark was writing Spectacular, and that led the month all the time. And I would get his plot, which I would need to then do my part, and I would read his plot. And he had just done everything that we had spoken about that was supposed to be <laughs> split up amongst the four books. And so then there would be, you know, some some shuffling around and trying to figure out what else to do and and and, and all that. And so it was it was definitely challenging. I mean, it helped that I, you know, the people that we were working with and, you know, yeah, I mean, editorial in, uh, um, input and heavy handedness or whatever, well, that's part of the job. Um, you know, I like to think I was not that type of editor. Um, I'm sure there are people that worked with me when I was an editor who would say that there were times that I, I was one of my favorite lines that I used when I was an editor and I would call up a writer and, tell them, you know, something that we needed to do in a book. And I had at least one writer say to me back in the day, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. And I, I used a line that was used on me by Mark Grunewald years before, which is, you're, you're mistaking that for a request. <laughs> Meaning, you know, if, if you're not willing to do what I'm telling you you have to do, then it's time for me to find somebody else that will do it. And... Um, you know, it just, it's just, it's part of the game. It's frustrating as hell, though, when you're trying to write a story, and especially when you're trying to write a story that you think is all planned out. Terry, I know you, you, you left around, I think, I, was, I'm, I, I looked this up in a, in a chronology site. So Don't I'm, make I'm, him I, cry because <laughs> he's very sensitive. <laughs> um, so you're, you're, I think you, you were Web 125 or thereabouts was, was one of your last issues. And then about a year or so later, it looked like Danny Fingeroth had left the Spider books. Mark DeMatteis left around that time. And it kind of left you, Howard, with a whole new set of collaborators on this thing. I mean, what was that transition like? I mean, at this point, is everything just complete chaos in, in the Spider office? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to put the, 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 the brand face on it, but yeah, it wasn't fun. And, you know, when I look back on it, I'm surprised that I continued. But I think part of me had hoped that somehow by continuing, I was going to be able to uh, salvage this story or... It, it, you know, that somehow make it better. And I, I, I felt like, you know, leaving was going to feel uh, like failure to me. But there, there were times and, you know, and I, I don't I don't want to get into names and personalities, but there were times when we were then having um, two hour conference call meetings in the days before Skype, where it was literally, you know, we were all on our phones between the the with the writers on one end and then there was a speaker phone in the 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 group editor or editor in chief or whatever it was office in which every member of the editorial team was also sitting there to to chime in and those were excruciatingly painful uh, because a it's no way to create a story I mean it, you know it always reminds me of the 
uh, uh, old saying, a camel is a horse created by committee. And that's what it started to become, uh, where you, you would throw out an idea over the phone and then two or three people would chime in and tell you why you couldn't do that because of some point of continuity that it contradicted. Or, um, and, you know, and I, I've gone on record and I know I've been criticized by, by some folks uh, uh, for, I, I, I realized at a certain point when you're writing a character that had, you know, whatever, 30 years of continuity at the time, um, there was a point at which you had to be aware of the continuity, but you could not be a slave to the continuity. So when people were starting to come out with individual scenes or panels that would contradict some point that um, we were trying to make, I, I felt like that entered, um, you know, into the absurd. And then, like I said, two or three hour uh, conference calls, um, I think they serve no benefit at all. I mean, I think if, if it was today, it would all be nonstop meetings and uh, nonstop emails. We just, we weren't, uh, we were all on dial-up at that point, so uh, yeah. <laughs> there, there was less access to instantaneous communication that way. We were uh, so yeah, it was not it was not fun. Um, we were also there was aware. at least one one time I left one of those conference calls in the midst of somebody going on and on to go downstairs to receive a new computer I had ordered from from Apple. I signed for it. I brought it back up. I listened in the phone. They were still talking. And I just said, oh, yeah, okay, good. And I put the phone back down on my desk. I took the computer out of the box. And the, the, the wonder of, you know, Apple computers is how easy they are to set up. So I took it out of the box. I put it on my desk. I plugged it in. I logged my I got myself <laughs> open running. And I kept checking in on the phone. And then at least one other time, I was so disgusted by the the the, the length of what was going on that, I left the phone conversation to go to, so I was on my office line. I went to my home line and I dialed one of the other writers who I knew um, had call waiting. And as soon as he answered, I just, I let out a big raspberry, you know, (laughs) and ran back to my phone, pick it up. And the other writer who will not be named, Todd DeZago, uh, was laughing hysterically at it. And I said, Todd, Todd, we're trying to get some work done. Do you mind <laughs> what's being said right now? And so you made you made the best of those situations you could. But we, we, we were, we were um, I don't want to say we were spinning around a drain at that point, but it felt like it. <laughs> well, and... Like I said, I was off the books by then, but we were in a deadline-driven industry, so we were aware that any time we were having three-hour conversations or discussions about something that we really only came out of with five minutes' worth of material, that was three hours we weren't writing. And, yeah. you know, we were getting behind schedule. Now, at what point – or I shouldn't say at what point. What, Howard, what was your sense as to – why, after putting all this work in to take Peter out of the books that he needed to be brought back, was this strictly a the book is tanking with Ben situation, or was there more to it than that? 
Uh, it, it was, I, I think, um, oh, boy, I'm going to use an expression I've never used, and it could be insulting to some people, uh, but I think it was creative cowardice. Uh, it, was, it, it was fear of those things that you were um, talking about. Because, quite frankly, had we stuck with the original plan, as much as we didn't want a back door, okay, um, and those, those you know, <laughs> address future storylines, I'm sure, as well. But I was at least aware that um, we would have to be willing to bring things back. And so in my mind... We had to be committed to the story as it was presented, which was the switch. Peter and Mary Jane go off into the sunset, and Ben is now the real Spider-Man. Um, and we continue with the ongoing adventures of Spider-Man. Um, but I knew that they were going to need another sales bump at some point. And my feeling at the time was, so let's have that story we're giving you your built-in sales bump or bumps with multiple projects. And had we done the three months, and maybe, maybe if we stretched it out to six months to get, you know, more, to milk that cow a little bit more, the sales that were going on then. And then just do the continuing adventures of Ben Riley, who is now Peter Parker Spider-Man. And then... In six months, we could have done a limited series about uh, that could have gone to a regular series about the adventures of um, Peter and Mary Jane. And what does Peter do? How do you, how do you go from being a, a superhero to not? And then, if six months after that, we could have done another big storyline, bringing it all back together, if we chose to go that way. But by then, we now have two solid characters that we could have built up. And instead of having four books divided amongst one character, we could have had four books divided amongst um, two characters or maybe, you know, six books or something like that. But I think there was a, there was a, a time at which they were really, they were genuinely afraid to, to change things. And, you know, when I look at what happened, um, Many years later, you know, with with, with um, some of the, the 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 stuff that happened long after both Terry and I were gone from Marvel, um, you know, I, I think you know there was less uh, less of a concern. I mean, when you, you do a Mephisto story and you do, um, you know, the the uh, Superior Spider-Man and all that, you know, that stuff that I believe, you know, given. The, the frame of mind that existed, the, the collective frame of editorial back then, there's not a chance in hell we would have ever been able to present any of that stuff. You know, I mean, you know, certainly, I mean, we, we, we had a hard enough time uh, with uh, the clone story, which was, I mean, the, the genius of the clone story, I will give Terry credit on, 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 on that, is that it was born out of continuity and where, when he first pitched it to me, I was saying, oh, well, I don't know. I don't remember the story that well and all that. And, you know, in the course of us talking about it, I think I pulled out an issue when I started flipping through and I looked at it. And, you know, and Terry and I talked about this recently, probably in preparation of, <laughs> of this conversation, is that I remember looking and saying, wait a minute, he dumped his body in a smokestack? 
it made no sense. I said, Jerry, you know, even, you know, even EPA regulations back then wouldn't have allowed for there to be a hole up here and fire directly below. And so, and for some reason, that's the thing that I got fixated on. And I said, so he can't be dead, <laughs> you know, or at least the body can't be gone. And if the body's not gone, where is the body? And that's where it all just kept going further and further, you know, down down that rabbit hole or up that smokestack, I like to think. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I will say this. I was against a backdoor from the beginning because I knew if we were putting a backdoor in that certain members of editorial were going to be constantly hammering at us to use it and to end this and get out of it. Because I think there was an editorial perception that, what we were moving towards was saying that Peter Parker wasn't Spider-Man. And what I, what I kept trying to say to people over and over again is we're not saying Peter Parker wasn't Spider-Man. Peter Parker was Spider-Man for all these years. There's just now two people that are both have a valid claim to being Spider-Man. And you look now, currently, there's Miles Morales, Spider-Man. There's Peter Parker, Spider-Man. There's Spider-Ham. There's Spider-Gwen. That was really something we were setting up. We were getting ready to set up, as Howard said. Then we don't have to worry about four different writers every month telling adventures of the same Spider-Man. If we had to, we weren't planning on killing off the existing Peter Parker. That was sort of the beauty of it. We would have them both out there to play with, and we could expand the universe or clean it up and streamline it. That makes sense. So... Not that this is a back door, and, and 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 Howard, not to put the the light on you again, but you know, we we talked about the return of Peter. Now the other big character that, of course, came back in this storyline is Norman Osborn. And where did that come from? <laughs> was that an editorial mandate, or was this was this about like oh, you said it was earlier? An editorial mandate. Yes. Okay, I'll stop. Yes. You take it from here. <laughs> I, I was, you know, that was when I was going to be um, the writer of um, the two remaining uh, Spider-Man books, and I, we, we, you know, we had an editorial meeting with with the the editor Ralph Macchio and the editor in chief Bob Harris, and in the course of that meeting, Bob made it very clear he wanted to bring Norman back. And I, you know, I, I probably did an equivalent of the, the thing that I said, you know, the writer had done with me. Was, I said no. Um, and it was made very clear right out of the gate that that was not an option. I said, you know, if we're going to undo a death, I would prefer, and what you really want is an Osborne and you want a goblin, let's, you know, bring Harry back. And... They said no. We're gonna. We're, it's gonna be Norman, and I really, really didn't like the idea because, you know, look, we 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 have all come to accept to a certain uh, degree that death in a comic book universe is is temporary at best. But I felt like there are very few deaths that should have counted, especially then. And I know everything is off the table now, but. You know, from Bucky and Captain America, who I know came back to be Winter Soldier. Uh, but in, in Spider-Man, I felt, you know, 
We had Uncle Ben, Gwen Stacy, and Norman Osborn. And those deaths really mattered. I mean, though, you know, as a as a reader of comics at the time, those are the, the issues that grabbed me. And, you know, the, the image of Norman being impaled by the um the goblin uh glider uh was 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 very visceral. Um and so I I went into it um not really wanting to do it um at all. And it was was directed by editorial. So do you want to ask your next question? <laughs> well I, I you know what what amazes I actually recently spoke with someone else uh about this topic who was involved with um new Inve- new avengers and thunderbolts and everything using osborne and and you know they kind of again expressed regret that this story happened but in the same vein as what i want to ask you about i i i felt that the return of the goblin story you you certainly made the best of a bad situation so i mean like once once you knew that there was no way out how did you go about doing that because i think that's a it's a it's it's a, to me it's a highlight of this whole storyline not just because it's the end but i think it's a really well done story so well, well, thank I mean, you. and thank you and you know what i i i really do appreciate that i actually i had a, a a fan come up to me at a convention a few years ago and start reciting dialogue from that <laughs> Uh, issue, which I was very complimented by and a little scared. Uh, <laughs> but but um, uh, yes, one, well, once I realized I had no choice and then I'm, I'm handed Norman Osborn to start writing. Well, he, he, he's really an amazing character. I mean, just, you know, beyond, you know, the funny hair and the, the you know, the, the, the goblin stuff norman himself i found just fascinating to write and then to explore the 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 twisted relationship that existed not just between spider-man and the green goblin but it was about norman and peter and so yeah i mean i went from hating having to bring him back and still you know quite frankly still hating that i was being part of undoing what was this this key, um, uh, a keystone in the, the Spider-Man mythos to absolutely loving that as a writer, I was getting to play with just a phenomenal character. So yeah, ultimately I'm really pleased that I was forced to do it. Um, so now to kind of open the floor back to both of you again. Uh, you're off the you're off the hot seat, Howard. Oh, uh, <laughs> my AC is not working in this room, and I was a, a little a little sweaty. <laughs> um, so now, I mean, we're talking 20 years later, and you know, we we, we you certainly have heard the jokes and the jabs and and whatnot, but at the same that token. Was- about the Clone Saga. <laughs> I know, right? What are we talking about? Um, but, but the same token, this is, we're, it's, we're, we're 20 years later. We're still talking about this story. We're doing sequels to it in modern comics. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Kane had his own series. The Jackal has been back other times. You know, you have, you have fans that are like dying for Ben Riley to return. 
so I mean, in retrospect, is this story? Do you feel is it unfairly maligned? I mean, what, what like why does there seem to be this polarization about it? And and what do you think has kind? Of, what do you owe to the fact that? I feel more recently there's been this, a, a softening on it in terms of what people think about it. I, I can address that a little. I think now what we have is the generation that speaking about comics are, is the generation that grew up reading those stories. Um, and the same way I was impacted and then Howard as well by the original clone story that Jerry Conway had done. That's what you're having now. And I think in a lot of cases, the first comic book stories that people are exposed to are the most powerful for them. And we have a generation that's now getting a voice in this industry uh, that experienced that and really enjoyed it. And I do believe it was a good, solid story where the execution was dragged out too long. So conceptually, the high concept was strong and good, so it deserved to have a positive impact on some people. I understand the jokes because I was making them myself at that point, and I'm sure Howard was uh, as well. I still don't know what you guys are talking about, jokes. (laughs) Hey, Howard, it's all right. I'll tell you later. Um, So that's that's what I think it was. I think it was a good story. It was powerful. People saw exactly the story we were trying to tell, which is two brothers under the skin in a bad situation. They reacted to that. They, They liked that. Then they got a little annoyed at the execution, as did everybody involved with it as well. So that's what they were making fun of. But I don't think anybody ever was making fun of the idea of Spider-Man facing his own clone in an, in an identity quest for who deserves the life that they – who earned that life most. I don't think anybody ever thought that was funny or, or jokeable. It was the execution and the length of it. I hope yeah, I, 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 I have to. I have to be be honest with you. I I smile a little bit every time a positive article is written about the Clone Saga. I smile a lot when I'm at a convention and I get you know adult uh, readers coming up to me with with a, an issue of the the Clone Saga and says this this is the first comic book I ever read. And it got me into reading comics. I I I smirk when I <laughs> I look at you know various um, websites will do their top ten lists, and not only does the Clone Saga not make it to the top of some of the worst uh, stories, even Spider Man uh, story arcs, um, and but that you know it frequently will make it to you know much more positive lists and you know when yeah they're 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 keeping the characters around that we created and they're keeping the concepts around that we created and i totally agree with terry that you know i i i sometimes wish and tom defalco and i you know we we did a um 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 you know a, a revisiting the clone saga uh story um several years ago with um you know he and i co-wrote And very quickly, we learned that we you could put any two of us or any individual one of us in and charge us with that same thing. Do the clone saga as it was originally intended, you know, the the 12 issues. Um, And and we did Tom and I didn't have the 12 issues, but 
all of us. It, it, it would be like uh, Rashomon, or you know, um, you know, we we all have different memories now of it as well, and so much of that gets gets um, blurred based upon what did happen. Um, <clears throat> but I don't remember like uh, Terry, like Judas Traveler. Were you involved with that stuff, or did he come later? Um, yeah, I was. Um, I was involved with that stuff. We that was, but I don't remember that being part of the core concept. It was not. It was not the original editorial meeting. It was a different uh, writers' conference, uh, I believe, that took place at Marvel, um, <laughs> and we were looking sort sort of for a team of villains at that point. Uh, right, you, right. I remember you would. Uh, Mark Demattis might have come up with uh, Judas travel character but i think i contributed to the name and then other characters scryer etc and i know you did as well we that was a group effort those characters absolutely group effort yeah but but what i what i think is now i mean you know so you said do i feel like it was was uh unjustly maligned no when you look at it as the clone saga absolutely not but i think what people are responding to now and the reason they're coming back to those things now is because at the core there was a good story with with well thought out characters that that just got covered by a bunch of other stuff so um you know so yeah you know what i i kind of like and i'm hoping that they they um i heard there's some talk about them doing a a clone saga omnibus in one of those big i can't believe anybody buys and can read this thing kind of book uh you know oh well great look now i have a a 40-pound book to try to read. Um, I don't know about you, Terry, but that's why I like a Kindle. I'm, I'm getting a little old. I can't hold books that are that heavy. Um, but I hope I hope they they do um, publish that and that they, they um, print and sell many, many hundreds of thousands of copies of that because uh, I would certainly, lo- I will not refuse the, uh, the, the incentive check. <laughs> I... I, I- I say I do remember getting because I I I I have a large Spider-Man collection, which is part of the reason why I do this show. And I did get asked once someone as a joke. They started the question by saying, "How much?" I'm like, you know, I'm thinking they're going to ask me how much does my collection cost. Like, how much does the Clone Saga weigh? <laughs> so. That's a fascinating question. <laughs> It's like you know that that's a great. I, I know it. So with with that omnibus, we might finally get an answer. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, no, this is this, this has been a lot of fun, guys. Uh, you know, I, I really appreciate. It. I would uh, just to kind of put a, a a cap on this. I'm going to ask what we ask all of our creative guests that we've had on this show. For each of you, what does it mean to have been a Spider-Man creator? You know, for me, it was a dream come true. Working at Marvel was a dream come true. I think for everybody there, we were living our dream. We were having great fun. We were creating. We were we were working in a world that brought us such joy. And as when we were growing up and even as adults, and I know how sort of corny and cliche this sounds, but I was always aware of how I was getting a chance to do that in return. That the, 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 the fun and joy I got from comic books when I was a little kid, I was now doing for little kids out there. And I was aware of that all the time. And that was 
probably the best part about it. And, the, you know, having fun and ha- and getting paid to, to write comics and getting free comics, by the way. We got our comics free. That was huge. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Terry's right. I mean, I, I think we were very fortunate in the time that we came uh, into Marvel Comics, both, both as editors and then transitioning into writers. It was still... I mean, yeah, it was a big business, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, all the stuff you see about um, uh, the, the 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 internet companies like Google and Facebook and the offices and all that. And we, we you know we didn't we didn't have access to that kind of stuff in terms of having ball pits and uh, you know uh, volleyball courts and all that. But there was an element of fun that existed in everything that we did. It, the guys upstairs forgave a lot of us because Marvel uh, was separated onto two floors at that time. And, uh, and the 10th the floor was where editorial and the creatives were. And the 11th floor were the suits were. And the suits really kind of, they, they winced at some of the stuff we did, but they forgave us because they weren't paying us any overtime and we never didn't stay until a project was done. Um, we also came in late, which was part of the, the other perk. But um, <laughs> and so, yeah, to have gotten an opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I, look, I grew up in Brooklyn, and in the winter I have these memories of sitting around my friend Johnny Albarico's dining room table, and we had a collection of Spider-Man comics. And he and I and a group of our friends, and we all just sat there, and we were basically copying Spider-Man, and it was, you know, it, 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 it was a lot of it, you know, it, it blew my mind years later because, you know, I'm drawing this stuff, and I didn't actually pay attention to creators' names at that time. I didn't look at credits. I just, I, I followed the characters. But, every, you know, some names stuck, and so I walked in the door, and the first day I worked at Marvel, I, I, I got to meet and talk to John Romita Sr., Mm-hmm. And it was like this light bulb moment of, oh, my God, dude, this is the guy that I was copying, you know, back, you know, 15 years ago. And it was it was amazing. And I, I was aware of the fun I was having, even, you know, the late nights of working and all of that. I'm sitting there and because I, I remember calling people up and I, I probably called Terry up and I know I called Mark uh, Dimatteis up at least once, finishing a, a story, and realizing that there was nobody for me to call in the office, and picking up the phone so I'd call a fellow writer and just say, "Do you ever just love doing what we do for a living?" And you know, and you know, and the answer was always, "Yeah," <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it really it that's what it was like. And yeah, so look, I I, I contributed, you know. Some to the the Spider-Man mythos, and some of it is uh, living on. Uh, you know, hey, that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, now, yeah. Do either of you have um, anything you want to plug? Websites, uh, social media, projects, anything? Uh, feel free. Uh, I'm. Uh, I've launched a startup company called My Bean Jar, and we deliver targeted digital coupons as rewards for achievements in digital games and other content. 
We have an app out there and a website, mybeanjar.com. You sign up, you play some of the games, you win free stuff. And most importantly, what I'd like to mention is we're, we've done a joint project with the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, the nonprofit Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, and it's a game called Angry Babies. It's a sliding tile puzzle game. Uh, it can be accessed through the My Bean Jar website or it, uh, the uh, My Bean Jar app. And we've gotten a number of comic book artists, Walt Simonson, Steve Lytle, uh, Tom Morgan, Tom Palmer, Ian Churchill, Mike Diodato. They've all donated pieces, angry baby versions of their characters that can be purchased in the game for 99 cents, all of which goes directly to the nonprofit Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. And I'd love for people to discover that, play the game and have fun at least, Maybe buy a few of those puzzles, and then they get – it also comes along. Once you buy the puzzle, you'll get a link to a download that you can print out as a poster of that puzzle. And that money, like I said, goes to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. And while they're there, I'd love if they sign up for my bean jar and start winning free stuff and lots of other content. Awesome. Howard? I, well, I'm I'm current. I wish I wish we were talking a month or two from now because I could very specifically plug several of the projects I'm working on. I, I I've cover, currently rediscovered my uh, my my uh, comic book writing abilities, and I'm working on a number of projects. Several of them are creator own projects. One of them is a contract I just signed with with a major publisher, which I cannot reveal right now <laughs> because until it's announced officially. Um, but what I would ask is, well, I'm going to be doing something with, um, I'm collaborating, uh, on a creator own project with my former, um, uh, Spider-Man collaborator, uh, Tom Lyle. Uh, he and I have a, um, uh, creator own project that we, we have a couple of, uh, publishers interested in, uh, taking a look at. Uh, but I, I had asked that everybody follow me on Facebook, Howard Mackey writer. Uh, I have a, a, a very specific page that is my writer uh, page where I'll be announcing uh, upcoming projects. I have another page, but it's like pictures of the dinners that I I ate and, you know, uh, you know, fuzzy kittens and some fuzzy kittens that I've eaten. You know, they're very tasty. If you cook them just right, they taste just like chicken. Um, but Howard Mackey writer, and I'm going to be making announcements in the upcoming months on several projects. Excellent. Well, well, Howard, Terry, thank you both so much for coming on the show. We really do appreciate it. And I, I'm sure our listeners are going to see uh, a lot of what you guys put forward in the coming months in, in, in the current books of Spider-Man. So I, I, I think that alone is, is something really, really special that, that we're, like I said, it's, it's, it's been 20 years, 20, it's more than 20 years now, but we're still talking about it. It's still being referenced and, and, you know, it, it's 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 been a treat to have you guys talk about it again. I appreciate it. Wow, it's been more than twenty years. <laughs> old. Oh, man. Uh, well, it was a pleasure, Mark. Yes, thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for having us. Spider-Man and his amazing friends.
Well, Mark, that was a hell of an interview. Uh, I'm glad that I was able to listen to it. Those two guys are hilarious. Yeah, they're hilarious, and you can tell that you know even after all these years, they're still really good friends. I kind of like that, you know, when 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 creators who've worked together, uh, you know, I, I guess as a, as a reader, I kind of hope that um, these people get along with each other and actually like each other. You know, I'm sometimes a little disappointed when. Uh, we talked to two people who work together. Like, oh, this is the first time I've actually ever met you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which they made fun of in this interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, the, I think the fact that they, they are so tight and still tight years later, it, it definitely came across in the interview. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe there's more Spider-Man and Terry and Howard yet. Maybe there'll be a fourth clone saga or a fifth one. You can never have too many clones. It seems like everybody from that era is still really tight. You know, like the way that like Tom DeFalco and Ron Friend speak about each other. Like, or maybe just everybody involved with Tom DeFalco is still really close. Yeah, and I mean, even the the times we've talked to Jam Demetrius, he's he's often speaks very fondly of Howard and Tom and Terry. So it's 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 great how that worked out. It's great that. We have more of that and less of like David Michelinie and Eric Larson. (laughs) (laughs) And I I loved these guys and how much they still are like have a fiery passion for this story. You know, like no matter how much it gets dragged through the mud by, I mean, just about everybody, uh, they still hold firm to it while acknowledging its weaknesses. Yeah, well, I I think the general acknowledgement, as you heard in the interview, is that it got away from everybody. And and you know, as someone who's been both a writer and an editor, I can I can see on both ends how that might happen. So, um, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that they never truly saw their their original idea to fruition, but. You know, I, I think it's unfortunate that we never truly saw the original idea to fruition. I, I, I kind of want to see that story. And I know there's the the re, the the real clone saga story miniseries that Howard and, and Tom Mackey did. Uh, Tom Mackey, Tom DeFalco did some time ago. But they even admitted that that was kind of a truncated version of what it was supposed to be. So I guess that story will never truly, truly see the light of day. Put this one alongside the Hobgoblin reveal. Uh, and uh, and these are the hollowed halls of what ifs and could have beens, also known as storylines that Marchinacchio has wasted way too much virtual ink on 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 both <laughs> Superior Spire Talk and Chasing Amazing, but that's okay. No, we're all the happy recipients of that. Yeah, there you go. Well, everybody, it's time for us to go. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you if you did and you want to hear more, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk episodes like this one and our older Superior Spider Talk podcast over at superiorspidertalk.com or you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now YouTube, the hottest place to be apparently despite all of these like looming uh, like slaps on the wrist from YouTube that have been going on across the network. But you can find all that by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And uh, when you get there, please be sure to leave us a review on the show. Um, you can also email the show at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 9 Red Goblin. We got a ton of new voicemails that came in, so that's really exciting. 
Oh, I can't wait till we get to those next week, Dan. Uh, also, be sure to check out our Facebook pages and subscribe to our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin. Uh, and also, uh, why don't you check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, our Patreon club that sends you all kinds of prizes, swag, comics, and members-only episodes. It's been a while since we've done one of those members-only things, Mark. we got to come up with something to talk about. Oh, I know. Uh, uh, I give think me time. Luke Cage is on the horizon. Oh, that could that could definitely be something. And then we'll have Doctor Strange in November. But uh, yeah, let's 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 stick a pin in that one, Dan. Awesome. And uh, next week, you know, we're going to be discussing a new comic, Amazing Spider-Man number eighteen, the last part of the prelude to the Clone Conspiracy, or is it Dead No More? I still can't tell. Um, yeah, it, does, it doesn't matter, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about talking about this one because it's advertised as a rather shocking book. And uh, I think we can guess that that's probably because it's going to feature the return of everybody's favorite baddie, Doc Ock. So I can't hope to read it. And I hope you listeners are there to join us. Absolutely, Dan. Well, where can we find you on the internet while we wait for that episode to drop? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. And like we've been saying, you got to check out SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. We've got all kinds of great new things, writing, comics, all kinds of stuff. So check us out over there. Absolutely, Dan. And, and, and me as well. You can find me on Twitter at – I almost said SupSpiderTalk. I'm, I'm becoming new, Dan. You wish you had that handle. Oh, I know. No, no. You can find me at Chasing ASM Blog. I, I'm not verified yet, but I'm getting there. I'm, 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 oh, I'm one of these days. I feel like everyone's getting verified these days. When is verified it be, nerd. When am I going to? When is it going to be my turn, Dan? Uh, and of course, you can find my writings when they sporadically appear on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And check out your old stuff on Chasing Amazing. Yeah, if you want to like go digging through the archives of Chasing Amazing and find out how I managed to collect every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, uh, except for some of the annuals, but you know only Dan truly cares about that and Zeke. <laughs> um, that site is there; it's not going anywhere. I've renewed the the domain for perpetuity, so no sweat, guys. There you go, awesome. Well, Mark, you know I was just thinking about that time. You know, you told me about a little while ago that you and Uncle Ben got into that horrible accident involving a Ferris wheel rolling out of control when, hey, you know. Dan, 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 Dan how's, it, how's it going, man? What's up? Mark, what are you doing here in L.A.? I, I thought you were in New York. How'd you get over here so quickly? We're just talking on the phone. Dan, what are you talking about? I'm in New York right now. Well, then who is this in my computer room? Well, let, me, let me explain, Dan. You see... The man you've been podcasting with is my clone. Back around, say, episode 30 of Superior Spider Talk, uh, I believe that was Jerry Conway's last Superior Spider Talk, uh, I was knocked unconscious and I found myself out back of a pizza joint with no clue of who I was or where I came from. If it wasn't for the kindness of the owner, Papa Jonah, I don't know that I ever have managed to make something out of myself. Well, why have you waited so long to resurface? Why have you come to me now? I thought I'd help you out. Certainly it'd be much easier to talk about Spider-Man comics with both of us in L.A. Though I've missed everything that happened from issue 27 to Superior Spider-Man on. Uh, I'm guessing that the book has been as excellent or so as those first 27 issues were. Dan Slot, man. He's got to be like, what, on the best creative run ever? I mean, we did go look out. Uh... Mark, uh, re- real Mark, um, I don't know how to break this to you. 
Let me just close this up, and we can solve this at another time. I don't want to get involved between you two guys. But uh, everybody at home, remember, with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Howard, do you have nothing you can just say yourself? They're all quotes from other people. Oh, no, there's nothing original about me in my life. Have you read any of my comics? Okay. (laughs)